Hello, and welcome to another New Criterion podcast. Today is January the 10th, 2017. I'm Eric Simpson, Associate Editor of the New Criterion. I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Jay Nordlinger, Music Critic for the New Criterion, Senior Editor at National Review. Jay, it's a new year, fresh start. Yeah. Good to see you. You too, thanks. Um, So, uh, we're, as we've done before, we're going to uh, take maybe... 40 to 50 minutes, maybe we'll even run over that, and uh, and talk about what's coming up on the musical scene in New York. We did a little preview back in the fall, and now we're in the spring semester, which is really the the, the meteor of the two. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we've got a lot of great things coming up, but I wonder, uh, since we've had this first semester, and we've also had we've had a whole 10 days so far in this year that, that you and I haven't talked about, so... Um, is there is there anything that you want to highlight that you've seen already that you remember from the fall and you want to just give an extra note of praise to before we go on to the future? From the uh, first semester? Yeah, sure. Well, um, let's see. There was a very good recital by Christian Gerheyer, hmm. the German baritone, Al Mahler, with his piano partner, whose name is, and coming to me just this second, uh, Gerald Huber or Gerald Huber. Yes, they're an excellent uh, duo. It was really a recital at a very high level, uh, mental, vocal, musical, if you will. I missed that one. What was on it? Uh, it was all Mahler and songs in, in, in funny orders. Hmm. There was some of uh, the Song of the Earth. I think they were the Rucket leader, I believe, and some other things, maybe a couple from Knaben Wunderhorn. Yeah. But it was an all Mahler evening. It was on the short side, and it was just terrific music making. Uh, Gerhard, uh, this is something that occurred to me. He is such um, a good musician and such an intelligent musician. You for, you can forget that he was <laughs> he lucked out with a beautiful, beautiful voice, but you almost don't think about that because there's so much else that he offers. And you know the same was true with Fischer Disca that. Uh, uh, People would often say uh, how intelligent he was, his insights, his interpretations, his German diction. But believe me, if not for that golden throat, we wouldn't know his name. Yeah. And I know you you feel the same way, too. But I love recitals like that where it's there's no feeling of, well, we have to do the recital a certain way and, and be all cerebral about it. It's just a singer singing yes songs that he yeah. wants to sing it was very natural it, yeah. it was it was art songs but naturally performed if i can put it that way right uh anything else well out? as uh, bill buckley used to say that questions like peking duck <laughs> re- requires 24 hours notice which i fair i suppose uh, i didn't quite give you you well you and i uh we 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 attended the first performance of Romeo and Juliet, the Gounod Opera at the Met. Right, and didn't actually run into each other, but we were both there. I saw you. I glimpsed you. You were with a coterie of fans, I think. Oh, and, please. Yeah. But uh, uh, Vittorio Grigolo, yes. the Italian tenor, was splendid that night. It's a golden throat, and it was ardently sung. Very romantic, very mm-hmm. Romeo. And I felt really pleased to to be there. It's the kind of thing you would tell your grandchildren about. And something that occurred to me, uh, Grigolo's on the young side. I thought this about a performance by... Oh, there's another highlight, highlight I could mention. The Chinese soprano Ying Fang, hmm. as I would anglicize it. Uh, her um, Exultate Jubilati of Mozart at the New York Philharmonic. And this is something I've thought about a lot in recent years, Eric. It's not especially... It's not maybe not politically correct may not even be correct, but I so often think that singers at the beginning of their career, sopranos in particular, they are at their height, even before they become big names, and they'll have contracts for the next 25 or 30 years based on that beginning, but they may actually peak, be really at their apex early. And it occurred to me, you know, we, we, refer, we refer to a person, to a singer's prime. Prime is related to first. Mm. And right. I must say, this is not a very nice thought, but at, I was sitting there listening to, let's take Ying Fang and leave Grigola to one side. Grigola is much older than Ying Fang. I thought, you know, this is not a very kind thing to say. I di- it's not going to get any better. Huh. I'm so glad to be hearing this now. And she'll have bookings for the next 30 years. But it'll be different and maybe she'll move into different rep. Well, that that's doubtless. Yeah. Yes. 
it's it, I know you you are not uh, afraid of bringing in a little American sports uh, into these discussions. Neither am I. It's the same way, for instance, in baseball. You get a, a an amazing young hitter who's who's great at twenty six, and because of the vagaries of of baseball contract law, which I won't go into in any detail here, he gets his, You're his stuck real stuck with him for the next yeah. Well, he gets his great free agent mm. contract at twenty eight. You sign him for ten years. And sort of, you've already, he's already had his best years and you're yes. paying for that. And then yes. from there, it's all downhill. Yes. Yes. That's right. And I think, I believe this is especially true of the higher voices, the sopranos and the tenors. Yeah. It's different, uh, somewhat different, I believe, for mezzos and baritones. Yeah. Um, and of course, basses lose their low notes. It's true. Yeah. To return to that uh, Romeo and Juliet, it's funny, I... I I'm sure you've heard the piece many more times than I have, and I've certainly heard it before. It felt, the piece itself felt a little thinner than I remembered it, actually. It wasn't excitingly conducted. It was competently conducted. Yes, although I, I, I like Noseda a lot, and I, I think in, in places he did a very nice job. But I, I got at one time the impression that the piece was thinner than I remembered, and yet I felt... Like this was a spectacular performance of it between mm-hmm. Grigolo and Diana Damrau mm-hmm. in the other title role. Well, you know there are great highlights: uh, Juliet's waltz, right. Le Vivre, and uh, the duet Nuit d'Imene, mm-hmm. and those are great. But it is an opera with some longueurs. Yes, uh, that is true. Uh, but you've heard more. Um, you've heard more satisfying performances. Maybe not from a singing point of view, although Damrau did not have her best night, uh, no. in my view. But but I, I I know what you mean. Yeah, I, look, I feel the same way about um, another Gounod opera, Faust. I feel that way. Let's stay in the French Romantic rep about the big Massenet operas. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we'll Manon get to that later. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I once described when I was you know, I was sort of cheekier, more callow, you know, more ignorant. But I thought. You know, Manot was um, had sort of uh, islands of greatness and a sea of mediocrity. Right. I don't feel that way anymore, but I feel a little that way. <laughs> so another, uh, there there are two things that I'll I'll just try to breeze through uh, quickly that that also stuck out to me. One was um, it, not his New York Philharmonic debut, but sort of his New York Philharmonic debut since becoming music director elect. Jaap van Sweden uh, led a very strong program with the New York, New York Philharmonic, including uh, Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony, which is not my favorite of the bunch, mm. but it was so convincingly given. I, I've, I've rarely heard them uh, play that well, frankly, uh, in recent years. He's a great musician. I, I'm, yeah. I was shocked that the Philharmonic hired him yeah. and absolutely delighted. I, I wouldn't have bet on it. I, I was shocked. Hmm. He's a great musician. He brings you nothing politically. Right. Uh, all he is is a great musician. And I didn't think that would be enough. But it, but it was. It was. Mm. And then the other uh, the other item was back at the Met, uh, Salome, um, mm. with Patricia Rossette. And, and part of this is expectations. You know, I, having heard Patricia Rossette the last few years in, in a number of roles, including a Tosca that was sort of okay, mm. fine, but not outstanding, I didn't expect, and she she's covering for somebody else, by the way. She mm. uh, she had to step into the role of Salome without very much notice, mm. a role that she knew, mm. but but still without a ton of rehearsal. And I thought she was sensational. Mm. I sort of wasn't prepared for it. The night I was there, I mean, she had a lousy final scene. Right. It was a fault of her and the conductor, and unfortunately, that's the that's the payoff. That's a great climax. <laughs> but yeah, she has a lot to commend. Let me play the play the age card on you a little bit. You should have heard her when she was young. Holy yeah. moly. Holy moly. She was like um, Deborah Voigt in this sense. Um, a lyric, beautiful singer with power. What a combo. Hmm. You can usually have one or the other. And for a long time, she had both. Yeah. It was extraordinary. I remember especially a, a, a tritico, a triptych of uh, Puccini. Well, and, and, I and find- a butterfly. And I find her to be a, a, a really compelling actress as well. Mm. Um, that, she's smart. 
Yeah, that was one of the things that stood out to me in the but, Salome. But she has a wobble on the top now. Yes, absolutely. And, of course, so did Callus. But, you know, in this... This is a very hard thing to get out of. I think a wobble... I think it's darn near incurable by by the vocal pros, mm. by the teachers and coaches and the, the doctors, so to speak, the voice doctors. I think it's darn near incurable. But in, in something like Salome, I don't... I'm not sure that I'm... What I'm looking for really is is... Uh, perfect, uh, pristine Delivery. sound. Yeah, uh, it's it's more about interpretation and more about uh, more about power. Frankly, I want somebody who's kind kind of got a raw, off the rails kind of feel about her singing. You want Inga Bork? Yeah, yeah. She was one of the best. Uh, Schulte referred to her as a, a Teutonic callus, a beast. Hmm. <laughs> the, the, those were Schulte's words. Funny thing about Salome is you want someone who's girlish, coquettish, girlish, vixenish. Because really, how old is Salome? What, 14, 13, uh, 15? In that yeah. age. A girl. She's not 20. Uh, but then you need power. Power. And I don't believe she ever did this role on stage, but I adore Leontine Price in the final scene. Hmm. Well, to... Um... So we've got, we're in 2017 now, so we have to talk about that a little bit. I guess I'll start, actually, since I heard it last night, still at the Met, uh, The Barber of Seville. Now this in the, in the, um, Il Barbiere di Sevilla, the, the full Italian version, not the, not the reduced family version that often cycles through. I looked at this on paper, Pretty Yende as Rosina, Javier Camarena as Alma Viva, Peter Matei as Figaro, I and mean, that should be the greatest performance of the year, or uh, in the running for it. I was a little disappointed. I thought Matei was was amazing. Javier Camarena, it turns out, is mortal. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have his best night. Pretty Enda is such an immensely talented artist. You may have seen her on the uh, on the Late Show a week or so ago. No, I didn't. Yeah, she she came in and, and sang uh, sang an excerpt from Una Voce Poco Fa. You're cooler than I am. You watch the late show. I'm not nearly cool enough for that. <laughs> but she, uh, so so she's sort of flying high from this. And to, for me, the ornamentation that she took was excessive. Being being, how'd she bring it off? Well, it wasn't especially accurate. Actually, it, uh, it was it too was, bad. Yeah, no, it, she she's she's so talented. But I I couldn't help like the aria was unrecognizable. Una voce poco fa? Yeah. Oh, it was practically bad. unrecognizable mm. just because, not because she, she wasn't singing it well, but because it was, it was straying so far from the score. And I don't think of myself as somebody who's all fussy and, and stuffy about ornamentation. Mm. But for me, this was too much. Mm. What was Peter Mate? Was he Dr. Bartolo? No, he was, he was Figaro. He was Figaro. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, I think he's done that. He's done that role a couple of times at, at the Met. And he's really good in it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I would, I was, I wasn't thinking properly. Now, now, now I'm with you. Uh, no, Bartolo yeah. was uh, Maurizio Muraro. He's an old pro. Yeah. Do you know that John Del Carlo has died? Did he? He, he did. He did die. When? Not long ago. He was. Uh, that role reminds me of him. That's so. That, yeah. I had no. And that's and, really and, and and similar roles. Upsetting. When he would have his vocal and comic best, absolutely unbeatable. I'll just never forget. So forgetting his singing, which one shouldn't do, I remember the looks on his faces and the way he deployed his jowls. He he knew he had fabulous jowls for comic opera, mm. and he really used them. I This is just, <laughs> not a very nice thing to say. I, um, I said the thing about... Think about baritones, bass baritones, basses, that one day they're bestriding the world, the operatic world as a colossus. Hmm. And the next day they're Close asking for the rent. Oh. <laughs> they're saying, they're saying, Afito in La Boheme. That's the role. Right. That, that, that's the role they do in their last years to collect the checks. And they demand the sword from, uh, from Otello at the end of that opera. Right. Yeah. La spada a me, they say. So we were we were talking about Massenet not too long ago, and this year we have a revival of a Massenet opera, which I don't know why, but I have a very soft spot in my heart for it, and that's Verter. 
uh, based on, of course, the epistolary novella. What do you mean you don't know why? There's great stuff in it. Don't be shy. Oh, right, fine. I love this opera. This opera Come is on. really, really, really Come great. Come on. Pourquoi me réveiller? Pourquoi me réveiller? And I, I, I love the whole third act, actually. Which... Uh, There's a reason it has lasted this long, yeah. that opera. Don't be sheepish. What's so amazing about, about this piece to me is we, we're always ragging on opera for... Uh, for having crappy plots and and you know it, it'll take something like Schiller and and dumb it down into this uh, this three hour nonsense. This is an example of an opera, if I may be so bold, that in some ways I think actually improves on Goethe. In in Goethe's Synopsizes it. novel, well, yeah, yeah, but also in Goethe's novel, you've basically got everything reported secondhand because you're you're having Werther writing to his uh, to to his friend Charlotte is. Uh, Carlotta in in uh, in the German is essentially just a plot device, mm. and here she owns the entire third act. Basically, mm. it's it's all her, and she is such a fantastic character. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that specifically because Isabel Leonard will be singing that role, and she's a fantastic actress. I love her voice, and it's a it's a very different kind of role from what she's been singing at the Met in the past. In the last couple of years, she has been the standby Rosina for Barbieri. And uh, she sang a Cherubino. So I think it'll be really interesting as her voice is changing, uh, as she's maturing as an actress, to see her take on something like this that's really a lot heavier. Yeah, but you know, for, forget the Charlotte. Who's the, who's the title role? Well, and the title role is, uh, is our favorite, Vittorio Grigolo. Yeah. Um, who, when he, in that other Massonet staple, Manon, uh, as Desgrieux a, a year or two ago, the the pairing of, of him and Diana Dambra was sensational. Mm-hmm. So that, that should be a, a real highlight. Conducted by, uh, by Edward Gardner. Um, there's a new Rusalka. Mm-hmm. Replacing the old, uh, was it Otto Schenk that's been there? I like that old production a lot. Yeah. It's very Rusalka-ish. Mm-hmm. I hope this next one has water. Is that a chicken or egg thing, Jay? Is it Rusalka-ish because you, uh, you're familiar with the Otto Schenk? No, it, it comports with the story. Yeah. And also, it uh, looks like a fairy tale, uh, which it ought to. Uh, but, but younger directors may think that's kind of square. Well, the, the director of this new one is Mary Zimmerman, um, and from the just from the production art that I've seen of this, it, it looks like it's actually going to be kind of similar, uh, which is odd. Mary Zimmerman from the Sonambula in, yes. in, in gym yes. clothes. The, the infamous, one? the infamous, infamous uh, Sonambula in the oh. uh, in the Broadway loft. Yeah, Unbearable. that was a horrible production. <sighs> But it looks like she's atoning for it by by doing a uh, by doing a Rusalka that is almost a recycle of the Otto Schenk production. All right. One almost wonders why uh, why do a new one if it's going to look like the old one. But we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, it stars Christine uh, Christine Opelis in a in a role that has been a, a pretty big one for her, kind of a, a staple of her rep. So that's that mm. should be exciting to see. Mm. She's the wife of. Uh, oh, the the what's his uh, name? The director, music of, director of the Boston the Symphony, Boston Andres Nelson. Thank you. Yeah, they're they're Latvian. You want me to give my Met notes, sir? Please. Are we on the Met? We're st- we're still on the Met for the moment. Do you have more on the Met? I mean, you can go somewhere else if you want to. No, let's stand there. Do you have more on the Met? I do, but go ahead. No, you you go. No, it's your turn. Yeah, you we you, we we might overlap. All Finish right, your fine. list. Um, uh, I Puritani by Bellini. This is a great revival cast in my mind. Um, in the in the two major roles, we have uh, Javier Camarena as Arturo, and he has really. I I don't know how many superstar Leggero tenors there are in the world, or how frequent a phenomenon this Juan is. Juan Diego Flores, Lawrence Brownlee, and right. Camarena, and he has really, in the last year or two, become a superstar. Leggero tenor. He's sung, he's had to sing something like six or seven encores at the Met uh, in the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, gotten to, I would say. Gotten to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, twist my arm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
Now, I, I actually, I have no idea if he'll, uh, if he'll sing the high F. I, I kind of doubt it. I don't, I don't know if his, if he really goes up quite that high, but I've heard him sing some high D's in various pieces that are clear as a bell. I'd experience, I be, if I had Google, I could confirm it, but I believe it was Camarena. Oh, really? So the Bartlett Share production of the Barbara Seville, is that how you say his name? Share? S-H-E-R? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> so as I remember, uh, Alma Viva Lindoro enters from the audience. So I'm sitting there on the aisle with my legs crossed to the left. And this guy comes down the aisle, nudges me, uh, uh, bumps me a little, says in, in, in Spanish accented English, excuse me, <laughs> and then begins to sing. And it was Camarena. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very polite. Very polite fellow. That's what we get for sitting on the aisle all the time. Mm. Um, and then uh, across um, will be, uh, as Elvira, will be Diana Damron, um, who has, I remember seeing her in that in that aforementioned Mary Zimmerman Sonambula, and she was really, really terrific. Hmm. I remember Natalie Desay. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if I saw Damron. Uh, and I guess the last, uh, well, the last thing I'll highlight for now is uh, uh, Traviata, with, uh, I've heard it both ways, Sonia Yoncheva and Sonia Yoncheva. Don't know. Yeah. So we'll leave it, we'll pull the audience on this one, let, let them make up their own minds. Um, but she'll be, she'll be singing Violetta, and that is, she's done so well in that role. And then later in the run, Placido Domingo will be returning to the role of uh, Jamon Père. I think you and I disagree a little on this. I haven't found all of his uh, recent baritone roles especially successful, but this is one that really worked for me. I I, I thought when I saw it uh, maybe two or three years ago, he is so moving in this role, and he can really he he has one aria, and he sings it so well. The Provencal Mar. Right. Well, um, you know, it depends on the night. With Domingo, it depends on the night. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that terrible old tiresome expression. He has good days and bad days. Right. Depends on his mood and so on. But yeah, he could be uh, terrific. I think he'd probably bust out and sing some of Alfredo that very <laughs> night too. I really do. Um, well... I'll add three things. You got more from the Met? Go ahead. I'll add Idomeneo. Do you have that of Mozart? Conducted by James Levine, the greatest conductor of Idomeneo I know. Mm. With you for a starry cast with Ying Fang and Alice Coote and Matthew Polanzani and others. Also, I'm very much looking forward to the Tatiana in Eugene Onegin of Anna Netrebko. Of course. And splitting... Uh... The, unfortunately, of course, Dmitry Vorostovsky had to withdraw from that mm-hmm. run, but the the title role will be uh, split by Marius Kvirchen and uh, Peter Matei. Good. Good. Not too shabby. And a new Rosen Cavalier by Robert Carson mm-hmm. with Fleming and Garancha. Yeah. Do you think is that... It, I'm not sure what if they have her lined up for anything else, but this to me feels like kind of a valedictory event for Renee Fleming. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So she'll say, with resignation and wistfulness, "Ya yeah, ya," yeah, at the end. Right. And let others have the stage, just like the character, mm-hmm. uh, the Marshallin does. So that's me at the map. What else you got? Yeah, I think that's me too. I mean, there there are a few other things. Uh, Yannick Neze Sagan, the uh, Maestro elect of the Met, will be conducting a Flying Dutchman of Wagner. The first Wagner I think he's done in this country, hmm. though not on this continent. Mm-hmm. Um, the Flying Dutchman, it may put it this way, <laughs> some people won't like this, is a starter opera for some Wagner conductors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense. It's Wagner learning to be Wagner. Right. Um, I'll tell you a story about the Flying Dutchman. Please. Comes from my friend and fellow critic, Fred Kirshner. 
His uncle took him to a Flying Dutchman at the Old Met, I believe. The orchestra played the overture, and the uncle leaned over and said to the nephew, it's all downhill from here. (laughs) (laughs) Which is truth to. Well, what's next on your list? What, where, where do you want to go? What hall do you want to go to or series? What do um, you want to do? Well, the, the other thing, the, the other place that I have the most stuff from is Carnegie Hall. Me too. Let's go there. All right. You start. Well, there, there's the series of Bruckner symphonies that Daniel Barenboim was doing with mm-hmm. the Staatskapelle Berlin. Yeah. And for Bruckner lovers, um, that's a good thing to hear all of those symphonies paired with various other pieces when, when, when they need to be. That is when the piece isn't long enough to constitute right. a concert. Well, I I was looking over it. I I think it's it's not just various other pieces. I think on every one of these concerts where there's a, a piece paired, it's actually Daniel Barenboim at the keyboard playing a Mozart piano concerto. Yeah, there's some other Mozart things. Are there? Yeah, okay. yeah, but many of them are many concertos. Of them, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so this is um. Barenboim is so uneven as, a, as both a conductor and a pianist, and I've told many stories in the past that illustrate what I regard as his unevenness. I won't tell them again, but you might get a great night. You might get a mediocre one. You might get, probably won't get a bad one. You might get a good one, but you really could get a great one. Great. It's such a changeable thing, at least with certain performers. I have a long speech on this, which, which I won't give, but some are, um, some are up and down, you know, A plus and D or so, and some will always give you a solid B plus, a, a kind of consistency. Uh, it's sort of more exciting the other way. I, and I always want to hear some. I want to hear the winner, the piano winner, of the Tchaikovsky competition in Moscow. Yeah. Um, it's always some twenty-year-old hotshot, <laughs> and this one's name is, I believe, Dmitry Maslev, who's playing a recital. I want to hear the aforementioned Alice Coote, the British mezzo. Uh, she's singing Schubert's Winterreise, not often sung by a woman. Right, we were um, talking in the fall about just that, about hmm. how uh, well you think of Winterreise as a, uh, as a baritone cycle. At least a low male voice, yes yeah. I do. I think of Hans Hotter. Right. But I've also heard a light high soprano, Christine Schaefer, sing it. And after you get over the initial shock, it was really quite good. Yeah. I've got your um, Philadelphia Orchestra. This is slightly personal. They're doing Bluebeard's Castle, the Bartok Opera. And Michelle DeYoung, the Judith, is is a friend of mine. Hmm. Uh, But she's also, I guess, the best best Judith I've heard. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like Jesse, I liked Anne Sophie, but I think Michelle DeYoung might be the best I've heard. I've heard her, uh, she heard her in that role in, in Salzburg, and so I look forward to it. That's saying quite a lot. The, I, I think the only other time I've heard, I may have heard her in concert performances, but the only time I've heard her, I think, in operatic repertoire was in Philadelphia um, as Abelie in a production of Don Carlo. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was very good in that. I've heard a lot of Judas. I think I heard Eva Marton, many other Hungarians and, and Central and Eastern Europeans. And as I said, Jesse Norman and Sophie Van Otter. But I would give the nod to this girl from West Michigan. I, I, she's the best Judith of, of my experience. Right. Never get this, that famous high C that brings <laughs> the light out. Well, and I, I don't want to skip over the other thing that's on that program that night, which is Selections from Swan Lake, which is, uh, it's hard to go wrong with that. I've been thinking, I don't know why exactly, but the, the last few days I've, I've been thinking again and again for, of the waltz from Swan Lake, which is such, uh, it's an immortal piece of music. It took me a long while to love Swan Lake, but when I did, yeah. Sometimes after seeing the ballet, I'll walk up the aisle thinking, this is a hyperbolic style. It's the greatest work of art. Hmm. And when I see Romeo and Juliet, the Prokofiev ballet, I think it's the greatest work of art. You know, move over right. Hamlet. It's the greatest work of art. When you hear Winterreise in the concert hall. You know, it is great. But I'm, I'm usually too upset to feel that way. Hmm. 
How come I'm not upset about Romeo and Juliet? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you remember Mark Padmore, the tenor? Of course. He's doing an all Schubert program. Right. At Carnegie Hall. This with, is with Jonathan Biss, who's a, a wonderful recitalist. And um, another sort of point of personal privilege, my friend Kevin Murphy, husband of Heidi Grant Murphy, is the piano partner of Alina Garanja. Mm. And they performed in Carnegie Hall before, and they will again. And I very much look forward to it. Brahms, Duparc, and Rachmaninoff. There, in the world, there are a couple of clarinetist composers. One is Jörg Widmann. Another is a, a young British guy named Mark Simpson. And Widmann is coming with uh, Mitsuko Uchida to do a recital, a clarinet piano recital, and of course he'll play some of his own music. Since I'm sure my dad will listen to this at some point, I shouldn't let that go without saying that my uncle's name is Mark Simpson. Oh, really? Yeah. Mark Simpson is, he's an interesting cat. Uh, I have my notes here. He was born in 1988. Your math is quick. How old does that make him? That makes him uh, as old as I am. Oh, yeah? 28. And he is really a good clarinet. I mean, the real deal. A real virtuoso clarinetist. Not a composer who plays the clarinet. I mean, a real clarinetist. And he's a real composer. Kind of interesting. So, Valery Gergiev is coming in with the Munich Philharmonic. And uh, one night, they'll do the Mahler Fourth, the fantastic soprano from Salzburg. Not the festival, from the literal town of Salzburg. Kumeyer, her name is. Wonderful singer. And if Gergiev is on, it should be great. And Eric, did you note this two-piano, I don't know if it's a two-piano recital or a four-hand recital, with um, Life of Ansnes and Marc-Andre Hamelin? No, I didn't see that one. So you never get to hear this music, this rep. Uh, for example, uh, Stravinsky's Concerto for Two Pianos. But one will. I've also got a recital by Yefim Bronfman, mm -hmm. the Russian-born pianist. Murray Pariah still doing his thing. Uh, you never know. I bet there'll be some great playing on that, on that night, along with some other playing. <laughs> and then at the, the last of my Carnegie Hall, and then I'll shut up, Eric, is um, oh, a, a Met Orchestra series with Esapekka Salonen and uh, a lot of Mahler. Yeah. The one that I've highlighted from that is, uh, is Schumann Symphony Number no. 3 and uh, Das Lied von der Erde with uh, Karen Cargill and Stuart Skelton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're both awfully good. I believe she is a Scotswoman and he's an Aussie. Yeah. I heard her in recital once at, uh, uh, in, in Weill Hall. Yeah. She was very good. Um, to be honest with you, I don't quite remember the program, but I remember her encore. And she sang the Rooket Leader. Yes. Yeah. And, and she sang a, a Scott song, didn't she? Uh, well, she sang, she sang the, I think it was her, she sang the, uh, the little commercial jingle that, uh, that, uh, Britain wrote with Auden. Oh, I didn't hear that. I wasn't there. Huh. Uh, the, it wrote a little commercial jingle for the telephone company. I'll be darned. I heard a recital. She sang a little Scottish song in honor of someone who had died. I, I can't, I'll have to Google this. What I wrote about it. it That's might, a beautiful, it have, beautiful it instrument. Been, it might have been the same recital. I think really? she sang two encores. Because hmm. uh, I remember this one. Her, her, a very good friend of hers was on that, uh, on that fateful German Airways, or German Wings plane. Oh. Oh. Right. You're right, Eric. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've I've got a couple more from uh, from Carnegie Let's Hall. Let's hear it. So two that are that are kind of related in my mind. There's a, a concert with the violinist uh, Tessa Lark, accompanied by what Roman Rabinovich. Name. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so first of all, as you say, she she rolls her own. Uh, Tessa Lark, Appalachian Fantasy, New York premiere. Wow. So that's something. Uh, yeah. the, the, the violinist composer has sort of gone out of style for a while. I'm not sure I can even name one. I mean, do you count Penderecki? 
No, because he really hasn't made his living that way. Right. No. And then, uh, well, the Brahms uh, D minor sonata for violin and piano, which is a, a pantheonic piece. And then a piece for which you and I were, uh, if I recall, at the premiere, the world premiere, uh, Ludoslavsky's Partita for uh, for violin and piano. Um, and it's, it's odd, because I remember that performance it was Anna Sophie Mutter and Lambert Orcus and there were several premieres on it this was one of them that's so, right there was an Andre Previn piece wasn't there, there was an Andre Previn piece and there was the um, Penderecki and there was the Penderecki La Folia which to right. me was the piece of the evening that was the piece of the night that was the piece that of, I, the, of the season maybe right I, yeah. I thought I, I want the score to this I want to go home and, yeah. and study it and play it but this one, the Ludoslavsky Partita, for some reason, is the one that I actually keep seeing reprogrammed. Which, good for him. The, the fact that, you, as, a, as a contemporary composer, you have a premiere and, and within the next two years you've gotten your piece programmed at Carnegie Hall again two or three more times, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Um, Shall I tell a story? Please. I said to Lauren Mazel, who's a composer of today worth listening to? He said, Penderecki. Then he said, um, um, and he looked at me. Oh. Um, he said, name some Americans I've performed here, meaning at the New York Philharmonic. And I said, I hesitate. And he said, Kernis, Aaron J. Kernis, he's a good composer, very good composer. And then he named Rodion Shadrin. But that's interesting. Out of his mouth, like a shot, came the name of Penderecki. Yeah. And then he couldn't keep going. Including himself. Wow. Yeah, that that Penderecki piece on that on that program. I would love to hear it again. It reminded me. It was unaccompanied. It was for solo violin, and it reminded me of all of the best stuff from the early twentieth century for unaccompanied violin. The the Isai, the Hindemith, Bartok. It was it was really in that vein of true virtuosic expressive writing for I, the instrument. I actually told him to his face I think that violinists would play this piece as far as the eye can see yeah it'll yeah. long outlive him it was it was it was an amazing piece mm. and it just so happens that Anna Sophie Mutter and Lambert Orcus are giving another recital at Carnegie Hall this year a little more in the in the traditional vein there's not so uh, it's not so many premieres but we've got uh, Sebastian Courier Clockwork which is not a piece that I know um, Mozart's Violin Sonata in A, Respighi Violin Sonata in B, B minor, and then that great chestnut, the Saint-Saëns introduction in Ronda Capriccioso. Mm -hmm. My violin teacher once had a, a great story about uh, everybody. He was he was he played in the American um, the American Symphony Orchestra in its early years under under, under Stokowski. Yeah, and. I believe Misha Alman came and played with them once. And Jeez. Everybody was making fun of the way poor Misha Alman played this one particular phrase. Because, you know, we violinists are nasty, nasty people. And, yeah. And, and just have to get all over the way people play uh, play the pieces. I bet you Alman was the most talented person in the room. Probably. Mm. Well, talented person, you think more than Sikovsky? Oh, I forgot about Stokes. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about the guy. I was talking stick. about violinists. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I was talking with the violinist sneering at him. Yeah, yeah. So that that that's an interesting program. Um, San Francisco Symphony with Michael Tilson Thomas, and I highlight this. Well, there are two great pieces on it. Um, three. I'm not a, a John Cage fan, but John Cage, the seasons. Um, Bartok's Concerto for Orchestra, and then a piece that I just absolutely adore: Shostakovich's First Cello Concerto, yeah. uh, performed by superstar cellist Gautier Capuçon. Yeah. Uh, I think that does Carnegie Hall for me. I'm sort of looking at this, these double-sided, disorganized pages of notes. Um, but I think that covers it. The, the environmentalists will love you for your double-sidedness. Right, exactly. <laughs> Where are we going next, Eric? New York um, Phil? Yeah, sure. That's sort of the last of the big trio, and then we can go on to miscellany. Um... Bronfman again plays Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto Number Two. Hmm. <laughs> Something of a rarity. 
Yeah, I am um, one of the, maybe the most technically pristine performances of I once heard Mikhail Pletnev play the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto Number no. 2. It was note perfect, studio perfect, in addition to very, very musical, of course. It was one of the most amazing technical feats I've ever witnessed. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of good music in this concerto. There's some bombast and some dross, but a lot of good music. The Piano Concerto Number no. 2. You know, if they hadn't given it to Yap the music directorship at the New York Phil, I might have wanted Manfred Honeck Me too. of Pittsburgh. And he's conducting a, a Mahler symphony, number one, which we used to call the Titan. I very much look forward to hearing that. Uh, later, there'll be a new violin concerto by Lara Auerbach, the Russian-American composer. I heard her music when she was quite young. I think she was a student at Columbia. Hmm. And this, this will be your violin concerto number four. She's up to that already. I saw this and I thought, I don't really know her music terribly well, but I would think that I would know of, of a composer who uh, who's already composed four violin concertos, but I look forward to hearing this one. There's a cello concerto by Esapeka. Esapeka Solomon. With, uh, performed by Yo-Yo Ma, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's that's my comment. Well, I'll yeah. I'll highlight one more thing. Um, you know, he's he's going out, and uh, a lot of people have said a lot of things about about Alan Gilbert's tenure. Um, well, so to be fair, there's actually there's another concert uh, on June eighth that is to be announced. So who knows what that will be, uh, which will sort of be the Alan Gilbert valedictory event. But the the last programmed is, item. Is, is this his last season? It is. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Is he upcoming next September or later? No, next next year is the interregnum. Oh. And then uh, they do this all very strangely now. It's um, next year is an interregnum, and Yap he currently has no official title with the Dallas or. Right, but he currently has no official title with the New York Phil. Oh, excuse me. Oh. He's, he's, I guess we could call him music director-elect. Designate. And then, yeah. well, no, then oh, next year he becomes oh. music director designate. Oh, no, Kel, sorry. Okay. Right. Uh, it's, it's, I'm sure it has to do with taxation and a million other... Right, something. and there's probably something about salary, like they pay him half salary yeah, yeah, for yeah. next year or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. All right. Uh, but I, I would have never thought to to hear alan gilbert do this particular thing but he's conducting a complete concert das feingold mm-hmm. um with a, a pretty good cast eric owens jamie barton christopher purvis russell thomas uh, morris robinson this should be uh this should be i don't know about you but this is this is a little heretical to say but i actually think das feingold is my favorite part of that cycle mm. i love the music from that piece so i'm really looking forward to hearing that I find as you get older, you're, um, you like different operas in the ring. Yeah. Uh, at, I, I, for me, it, it was always uh, the second one, Die Valkyra. Sure. I didn't have much use for Siegfried. And then at some point it became probably my favorite. Hmm. And you know which one of the four I least admire and I love them all? Götterdämmerung, the Twilight, Twilight of the Gods. Which is the uh, final one? Maybe the most popular of them. I mean, is Valkyrie it? No, Valkyrie is the most yeah. popular. But, but Gretchen Damerung, I feel, is the the sort of critics' consensus one very often. Is it ecologist consensus? Uh, but but you know, the final point, the ultimate point to make about this is the Ring is really one opera, right? Really one opera from from the watery, broken E flat major chord, the beginning of Das Rheingold to the immolation scene, watery again. At the end of Goethe Demerung, it is one opera, or as he liked to say, did say, a four evening, and then day one, day two, and day three. That's the way Wagner labeled them. Hmm. Well, I have nothing else to, to fill. Huh? I'm basically down to my uh, my miscellaneous Let's go. items here. Tell me. Uh, well, I have the 92nd Street Y. Me too. Uh, Elisa Weilerstein Me playing too. the complete Bach cello suites. 
This is just so right. And she's a great musician and a great player. Yeah. I've heard her play those suites. She, that's another Columbia student, by the way. Like oh, Auerbach. I heard her play these pieces at Columbia U. Huh. Um, well, her her dad, as it happens, is uh, sort of... He's considered the, yeah, Donald Weilerstein. Um, the she and her parents have a have a an accomplished piano trio, but he is considered to be sort of the dean of the American School of Violin Teaching right now. Oh, he's he's the guy that everybody wants to study with. And Elisa's kid brother is a conductor. Right. I heard he's he's famously absent-minded. Uh, Donald is. There's a a great story about. I don't. I, it's it's under the category of uh, too good to check. <laughs> Supposedly, he was eating an ice cream cone before he went into a violin lesson, and not wanting either to throw it away or be so rude as to eat it during the lesson, he put it in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something I would do, except that I would never leave an ice cream cone unfinished. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else from the 92nd Street Y? Not for me. Not for me either. Okay. What else you got? Uh, great performers at Lincoln Center. All right, let's go. Yeah. So the Budapest Festival Orchestra is... Um, I guess they're doing kind of a little mini Beethoven festival. Mm. Um, but the two, the two concerts that I've highlighted are... Uh, one in which they're doing the First and Fifth Symphonies. And Piano Concerto Number no. 4 with Richard Goode. That, that fourth piano concerto is my favorite of the bunch. It is just hmm. that the opening of it is maybe the greatest opening to anything ever. And it's so <laughs> simple. Yeah. It's just a beautiful, blossoming major chord. Yeah. Totally uncomplicated, but it's like a, a, a beam of light just suddenly comes through the, the roof of the concert hall. Well, people must have been shocked when... The soloist began the concerto. Yeah. I'm not sure it ever happened before. <laughs> and it didn't happen all that much later, really. It was like Beethoven shocked them when in a symphony people began to sing. Uh, imagine being there that night. What are people doing singing in the symphony? Right. And when, that, when the pianist that night, might have been Beethoven himself, it probably was, I can't remember. When he began the concerto by himself with this simple playing, but it's not for very long. No. And then there's a long tutti, long exposition. Yeah. Right? That must have been something. Well, it, it reminds me a little bit. Of course, there's an accompaniment there. But it reminds me a little bit of the opening of the uh, the Barber Violin Concerto, hmm. where similarly you have, the, you have the soloist playing right at the opening and hear the orchestra... In fact, uh, a piano supports the violin with this blooming chord. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment. You about Barber? Yeah, he's your he's your Greater Philadelphia confrere. Yes, right. He's from Westchester, and he went to Curtis. I always thought it was interesting about Westchester outside of Philadelphia. It's two words: West. Chester, mm -hmm. not Westchester, right? Yeah. Westchester. You know, that opening chord, that G major chord in the Beethoven Concerto number four, is almost never played right. It's very hard for the pianist to play all the notes absolutely together and to have the top B singing. Mm. Almost never do you know to, to, to have to have each note have the right weight. First of all, to have all the notes sound. And to have each of the notes have the right weight is harder than that may appear. Yeah. Well, if you yeah, if you don't do it quite right, it can it can be either aggressive. It can be kind of a little too shy. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing the way this chord just it needs to just be there. But it's really a melody, though. Yeah. It begins. That's why you have you have, you have mom. Bum, 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 pee, bum, bum, pee, bum, bum, pee. It can't be. It can't really. It can't be just a chord. Right. That B has got to sing at the top, and I find pretty rare. What are we on? Great performers. Oh, keep going, yeah. Eric. Well, and then symphonies eight and nine, um, the following night, which I love that pairing. Because yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to pair something with a ninth. Right. 
It's like the Brahms Requiem. It's a tweener. It's mm-hmm. almost a concert, but, but not, nah, not quite enough. Yeah. But it, but also it's if you if you put something long enough to have an intermission before it, yeah, then then the concert becomes too long. Yeah, it's it's a hard one to pair. But I like this specifically because it's a long night though, eight and nine. Oh, sure. with intermission. But but it's all right. Yeah, it's all right. I I, I don't mind. I'm gonna go hear it anyway. Yeah. I, to me, I I like to say that like everybody else, I tend to prefer Beethoven's odd numbered symphonies, except of course for two, four, six, and eight. Um, and the, I've never heard that before. The, the eight is such, it's such an odd piece in the trajectory of Beethoven. I can't think of that German word that means unbuttoned. That was his famous unbuttoned Hmm. mood. It's just a hoot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it sounds to me almost like it's as if you have this, this weird brash rock star who comes back one more time to write the perfect Classical, classical symphony. symphony yeah it is perfect. and then he goes totally off the rails off the, the wall yeah, yeah the 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 scherzo of the ninth is one of my favorite beethoven excerpts it scares the crap out of me every time that's a great thing and it's it's so just great. So a great. totally so different great. animal from the the symphony that comes right before it yeah yeah no i do i do love that f major symphony well i have um london philharmonic there's this young man Born 1995. I don't know how he says his name. He's a Canadian of Polish derivation. Uh, it looks like Jan or Jan Lisiecki. And I think it's Jan Lisiecki. Or Lisiecki. There you go. Yeah. I have a story that goes with this. Oh, and he's going to play um, uh, a Chopin concerto. The E minor Chopin concerto. I have a story. So I visited my mom in Michigan, and I'm driving my rental car back to the airport, and I tune into a Chopin recital, and it's really good playing. And I sit in the car till it's over, and I couldn't identify the pianist. And it was like an 18-year-old, 17-year-old Canadian kid. Uh, And it was this fellow. And I've since heard him, I think, with the New York Philharmonic. But I look forward to hearing him again with the London Philharmonic and the Great Performer series. Mm. Also, um, the violinist um, Kopachinskaya. I don't know how she says her name. Patricia Kopachinskaya. Uh, I know her only through recordings and YouTube videos, modern day recordings. <laughs> and she's coming to play the Prokofiev uh, Violin Concerto Number no. 2. Ah. And then I, I look forward to hearing also great performers, the Takach Quartet, play the Brahms uh, Clarinet Quintet in B minor with Anthony McGill. And also uh, Anna Sh- uh, Schwanewilms, the uh, soprano, will perform a recital with Malcolm Martineau, the Scottish pianist. I circled that one too. Uh, music by Strauss and Wolf. Certainly two great... Uh, Great composers in that genre. Um, Shvana Vilms, the last time I heard her, and I, I think it might have been her, her New York debut period, because it was her Met debut, um, was in Die Frau in a Shop. Uh, she was marvelous, marvelous in that. She was the Empress? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I have some CMS, some Chamber Music Society. Go ahead. I think I'm I'm pretty much exhausted here. My list is exhausted. I'm sticking with the. Uh, you know, hear a lot of clarinet. I think I started clarinet with Jurg Fidman. <laughs> um, there's an evening of clarinet trios with Anthony McGill, Elisa Weilerstein, and her regular piano partner. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, Inon Barnatan, perhaps. And then I think there's a good idea. I I reviewed. A couple seasons ago, maybe, uh, a concert, sort of a massive viola concert from the Chamber Music Society. Oh, I remember this one. Yeah. yeah, there are lots of... And so they have a program called the Cellist of Lincoln Center, when something like 10 cellists put on a concert. Hmm. And I quite look forward to that. And then you're going to have an evening that includes the Mozart Clarinet Quintet with the great David Schifrin. 
You know what occurred to me as I was sitting here, Eric? I forgot to check City Opera. So, right. We forgot City Opera. Um, just over the weekend, I heard uh, I heard Candide, uh, the Bernstein operetta, and thought it was really well done in a new production by Hal Prince. They landed this legendary Broadway director, something like nine-time Tony winner, to uh, to direct a, pro- uh, a production for them. I thought it was really charming. Um, dark, but charming. Uh, Los Elementos, this Spanish Baroque item that... Uh, as I, I was saying to you while we were off for a second, that uh, I spoke to Michael Capasso, the director of the company, and he was talking about how they want to try to get more Spanish language works into the city opera rep because they feel like they're they're missing a pretty big New York audience by not having anything in Spanish. Well, Italian operas are pretty successful and German operas and That's Russian true. operas and I don't know that people we we hear very very few English language operas, very very few. Right. English is our native language. I, I, I don't I don't really buy the idea that, that people need or want to hear operas in their native tongue. Although I will point out that when the Russian operas come to the Met, the Russians come out for it. Could be because they know and love the music. Yeah. And the, or want to hear the performers. But, you know, how many English language, how many English language songs, art songs do we hear in a year, Eric? Right. Darn few. Well, which- maybe some Dickinson songs of Copeland. Uh, maybe the hermit songs of Barber, uh, you know, some some British music, but otherwise. Yeah. Anyway, not to be argumentative. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> um, and then the last item that you... Uh, oh, we got you two actually more. Hot. Got a Respighi. Right, we've got the Respighi. La, Did you uh, mention that? La com- no, I, I didn't. La Campana Somersa. Somersa, exactly, yeah. Um, the submerged field, the mm. flooded field. Um. And then uh, Peter Eotvos, I think is the pronunciation. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, Hungarian conductor and composer. Yeah, and uh, Treatment of Angels in America. uh... Well, I'll tell you a story. Um, You know, I mentioned that um, Bluebird's Castle at Salzburg with Michelle de Young. Yes. And her partner was Falk. What's his name? Falk. We know Uh, who you mean. Yeah, that German baritone. Starts with S. Anyway. The conductor was this very Hungarian conductor huh. composer, the composer of this opera that City Opera will do. Yeah, yeah. I've heard a thing or two of his. They they've been very good. Uh, it's as far as having forgotten City Opera, it's not entirely our fault. Um, the the company's only been back for a year. I have to say, I've been pretty. I don't think anybody who wasn't a part of the leadership team in, in this New York City Opera relaunch really thought that that not only that it would still be here a year later, but that we'd be talking about, okay, what are they going to do next season? And just sort of taking it for granted that it's going to happen. It's pretty extraordinary, I think, that they managed to get this thing off the ground again. We'll see how long it goes. But it's been a pretty successful year. They've done something like half a dozen staged operas, uh, a few concerts beside that, and I think that is the pace we can expect going forward. Well, I'll tell you this. For many years, I went to City Opera and wrote about operas at City Opera, and that company taught me a lot of repertoire. I mean, old repertoire, uh, operas that I would never have seen otherwise. Mm. I learned a lot of operatic repertoire from City Opera. I mean, leaving new operas to, to one side. I'm talking about old operas that are unperformed. Right. And this revived or rump or whatever you like city opera is doing the same thing. I, I never thought that I would see Rachmaninoff's one actor, uh, or is it two acts, uh, Aleko. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember hearing that the aria of the title character on a, on a Chalyapin album when I was a kid, that we all had Chalyapin albums, especially this one aria's compilation. And but thanks to this new city opera, I've seen that. Yeah. And uh, it's enriching, and I'm glad they exist and are doing this. Yeah, it's been a it's been a, a great project. 
I'm glad that you exist and are doing this. Oh, it's been nice to talk to you. Awfully kind it's of been you. Really nice to talk to you. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, do you? Are you uh, through your list there? I am are done as dinner. I'm done. The only. The do you only have other, a benediction for us? Well, the only other thing that I that I see here that's, uh, um, I haven't mentioned was Sarah Connolly giving a, a recital at the Armory. Songs by what? Copeland's a recital in the Armory. Yeah. Isn't that a place for massive works? Well, I think there is... Uh, I haven't been in it, but there's there's a room upstairs that's like the officer's dining room or something. Oh. That's very well appointed and more suited to recital I'm songs. I'm glad you told me. This is the English mezzo? Yeah. Songs by Copeland, Berlioz, uh, Schumann, and Poulenc. Uh, nothing English or British. What a shame. Uh, that's true. No Britain. I love it when they sing that rep. Hmm. I love it. Gerald Finzi, for example, Let Us Garlands Bring. Yeah. Elgar's Sea Pictures. I don't I was often enough. To that the other night. Were you? Yeah, the because uh, it's the the B with, side. With Baker and Barbara Early. Uh, that's exactly the one because it's the B side of the, the famous Jackie Dupre Elgar concerto. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, two great, great recordings. Yeah. How do you like to see pictures with Dame Janet? It's 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 really my favorite of it is uh, uh, where corals lie. I find that oh. that one just absolutely enchanting. It's gentle and lulling. I love the Sabbath morning at sea. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in that writing that feels like it's cribbed straight out of Tannhäuser. Hmm. I hadn't thought. Not about that, that that's a bad thing necessarily. Mm, right, but. It, it's it, it feels like I'm, I'm hearing the Pilgrim's Chorus uh, filtered through Elgar. Well, he being the great unmentionable he, being Wagner, of course, put a stamp on everybody. Yeah. I remember hearing someone once say, instead of listing the orchestral works after Tristano Isolde that were influenced by that opera, you'd be better off listing the ones that weren't. Hmm. Because the ones, the list of ones that were is so long. Yeah. He really put his stamp on music. He thought himself a great original and an incomparable. And in in some respects, the old bastard was right. Yeah. Well, to give Wagner one more one more note, they haven't they haven't announced officially yet their season, but. I understand that uh, we're going to get Parsifal back at the Met next season, oh. which I'm extraordinarily excited about. That is, you know, I think it's actually the first Wagner opera that I saw in full, and I would sit through it twice in a row. It is such an incredible piece of music. Yes, um, sometime when I need a little... Uh... Sometimes when I need a little medicine, I'll go to Knappertsbusch and listen to the last 45 minutes or so of Act One. Yeah. And watch those nights roll in. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's some. It is great, and Knappertsbusch was great. Yeah. I feel like when I I hear. For me, it's the overture, actually. Or the, the prelude. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've been transported somewhere else. Well, like you're supposed to be. Yeah, Wagner. Wagner has has started, and I'm not in New York anymore. He puts that voodoo on you. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really cool thing. Yeah, he was a talented sob. Is quite true. Yeah, definitely an sob. Any uh, final thoughts? It's a wonderful world of music, and uh, we're lucky to live where we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are. Uh, we we get to live in New York and hear Record, all these recordings things. Recordings are great. Occasionally complain about them. Yeah, yeah. how oh, jaded we are. Always, but um, <laughs> recordings are great, and they're not the same. No, there's no substitute for live. Absolutely not. I was at a Nabucco about I don't know some weeks ago. There's this Ukrainian soprano with a multisyllabic last name. Monostryska. Is that the one? Could be. 
can't even think of her first name, frankly. She was Abigail, Abigail. And uh, she came to the far, far left of the stage on this, I don't know what's the word, plinth? I don't know what the word is. Mm. little thing that juts out. And I'd say she was about 40 yards from me. And Eric, I felt the proverbial bone vibrations. <laughs> and uh, to quote a popular song, they were good vibrations. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that our, all our listeners will get out there and get to Carnegie Hall, get to the Met and, and hear some music in person and feel those moments. And vibrations. if you don't, the internet is so, so wonderful. That is true. Get your Spotify premium accounts. When I'm, um, when I'm avoiding work in particular, <laughs> I go on YouTube jags. <laughs> Well, I'm sitting here in my office, so I probably shouldn't speak too loud about uh, avoiding uh, avoiding work by watching YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I think we can leave it at that. Jay, it's always a pleasure, and uh, to our audience, it's it's really a, a joy to be able to do things like this and and know that there are people on the other side of the microphone, on the other side of the speaker, who are uh, who are out there listening. So uh, thank you, thank you all for listening. We'll be, uh, we'll be back certainly in the fall, maybe before, but in the meantime, there will be other New Criterion podcasts to listen to. You should pick up a copy of the magazine. Right now, you can read Jay in the, in the January issue. Oh, it's the least of it. It's the least of it. Visit newcriterion.com. Find us on Twitter, on Facebook, even on Instagram. You can see pictures of the office. What? Around. Yeah, I know. You are so hip. <laughs> Instagram. How about Snapchat? Do you do that? Uh, not yet that I know of. All right. So find us online uh, and, uh, and keep listening to these podcasts. Thanks for listening.